0: But without further ado, I do want to get back into what we're studying. So as we've been digging into 1 Thessalonians, we've been talking a little bit about what it looks like to live a life that's pleasing to God. And as we've done this, and as we've been going through this, we've been looking at Paul's letter. And if you remember, Paul's letters often were written to churches that were messing things up. They weren't doing things the way they were supposed to be. They were probably uh, falling into worldly things. They were slipping into things that they shouldn't be. And ultimately, Paul was saying, this is how you need to be corrected. But this letter's a little bit unique because he's not writing in a way that's like, we need to correct this. It's more... We, I want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing I want you to keep going after what you're already pursuing And so for the last couple weeks We've talked a little bit about what Paul has done And what his life has looked like to live a life that's pleasing to God And today we are going to be looking at a little bit about How it got started with the Thessalonians And how Paul learned a little bit about What it looks like to live a life that's pleasing to God But before we do that I wanted to come in hot with some relationship advice. So, I am obviously an expert at relationships. That was really quiet. That was so awkward. (laughs) I'm obviously an expert, you know. If Sydney was here, she'd be booing me. Sydney's my wife. She'd be booing me from the back corner. So, uh, I love my wife and uh, I'm glad she's here because she'd probably kill me for uh, what I'm about to say. But uh, relationship, here's my piece of advice. This is going to blow your mind, okay? relationships require two people. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. That's my piece of advice for you, all right? So if you didn't know that, now you know, okay? Uh, But when there's two people in a relationship, you both have to put forth effort. So those of us in this room that are married or if you're dating, you know, like, you have to put forth some effort for the other person. So, for example, if Sydney were here, she would agree with this, but uh, if Sydney makes dinner one night, I would be the one to do the dishes, or vice versa. Like, that's just kind of how things are. There's some give and there's some take. But, you know, like, sometimes it's like, oh, I'm just going to do the dishes, I'm going to rush through them so I don't have to worry about it, and then so I can go back and sit on the couch and watch whatever movie I'm watching. In reality, that's probably not the best call, uh, because... I should be doing the dishes, not just to get it done, but I have this note that Sydney wrote me, because I love my wife, and I want to make her happy, so that's why I should be doing the dishes, so uh, in all seriousness, though, why should I be doing the dishes? I should do them because I care about Sydney. I love her. I want to take care of her. I want to make her happy, and not because I have to, but because I can, right, and uh, sometimes that is easier said than done. Uh, it can sometimes be hard in those moments because we're human and we're fallen, we're sinful. We don't always reciprocate love super well. I really hope I'm not the only one with that dishwashing thing, but uh, that maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just me. Uh, and so today, as we look at what Paul has for the Thessalonian church, he's looking at the fact that Paul has done a lot to show the Thessalonians that God has changed them. He's put a lot of things in front of them to say, this is what God has done for you. He's worked in your heart. He has done a lot of things for you. And Paul's saying, look at what you're doing. What are you doing for God? What are you doing to show love to him? What are you doing to show love without being asked or asking for anything in return? And so we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians 3 today. We're going to be starting in verse 6. And this narrative that we're looking at starts with Timothy coming back from the Thessalonian church. So if you remember last week, Paul sent Timothy to go out and he was going to basically say, Hey, you will go there because I, I Paul, can't be there. And so when you go, he's going to come back with a report of what happened. And so now this is Timothy coming back with a report of what the Thessalonian church is doing. So if you'll follow along with me on the screens says but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you for this reason brothers in all our distress and affliction we have been comforted about you through your faith for now we live if you are standing fast in the lord for what thanksgiving can we return to god for you for all the time that we feel for your sake before our god so Paul, it seems like there's almost this uplifting joy. Like when Timothy comes back, it's like, all right, so they are actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. This is good. This is, a, this is unique. See, the Thessalonian church is a relatively young church at the time. Like they don't have a ton of experience. There isn't a lot that has gone into basically their faith so far. And so to have this report come back and say they haven't fallen into worldly things, fallen into like pagan things, these different kind of like rituals or gods that were around at the time, but they're actually being faithful, that's like a breath of fresh air for Paul. That's a good thing. And it was joy that he gets to see this. And so Paul says, well, it's obvious like that I was the one that put forth all the effort, so I'm the one that deserves the credit, Right? I'm just testing to see if you guys are awake. He did not say that. Uh, Look with me at verses eight and nine. It says, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to you, to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? Paul attributes the success not to anything that he did, not to anything that they are doing, but what God has done for them. He's saying that God is the one that gave you heart change. God is the one that did this for you. God is the one that established you guys where you are at. And so this opens up an interesting conversation. And this conversation comes to what does the involvement of people look like and the involvement of God look like when it comes to bringing a church together or bringing people to God? And there's a lot that goes with this. There's a book uh, called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer. And what this book kind of covers is it answers this question, it goes after this question of, well, if we are, if we're supposed to go and tell others about the gospel, if we're supposed to go and tell others about Jesus, but God is doing all the heart change, why, why would I do anything? God's doing all the work. Why am I going out and doing this? If I don't do any change, what's the point of me? Why am I doing this? And effectively, that's what he, Packer's going. And in his quote, it says this, when we evangelize, our trust must be in God who raises the dead. He is the almighty Lord who turns people's hearts and he will give conversions in his own time. Meanwhile, our part is to be faithful in making the gospel known, sure that such labor will never be in vain. Paul attributes the fact of being faithful. He he says we are being faithful, but God is doing the change. God might be doing the change. He is definitely doing the work of heart change. He's bringing people to himself. He is the one that's drawing people towards him. But we're still called to be faithful. We're still called to play a part in that. In reality, instead of saying, what's my purpose? Uh, and if, if I'm not doing a change, why am I doing this? What we should be saying is this is a privilege that I get to be a part of something greater. I get to be a part of something amazing. And Packer's pointing out the fact that though God is doing the change, we should be going and sharing the gospel so nothing that we do is in vain. Nothing that we do happens to be in question. Consistency is attributed to God. God is the one that does all of the changing. He's the one that's constant. We're the ones that are flaky. We need somebody that's constant. We need somebody that's going to keep doing that change in other people's lives. When we get up or before we go to bed, when we look in the mirror, we don't say, wow, look, at I did a lot of great heart change in my life today, you know? That's not what we're saying. What we really are saying is, God, thank you for changing me. Thank you for making me better. And so Paul is attributing that. He's saying this heart change, this is from God. But it doesn't stop there. See, we still have involvement, like I'm talking about. Like, we can't just go and we can't just kick up our feet and say, all right, God, do what you need to do. I'm just going to watch TV while you change my heart, you know. No, we have to play a part in it. We get the privilege of playing a part in it. And Paul is telling that to the Thessalonian church as well. And so we're going to continue here as we keep looking, starting in verse 10. It says, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So Paul does two things in this in this statement here. In verse 10, he's wrapping up kind of his overall opening statement of the letter. It's a pretty long statement because we've been this this is what our fourth week in this, and he's we're just wrapping this up now. And then he starts to lead into a prayer for the Thessalonian church. And as he's going about this, as he's doing this, we see Paul coming and showing them that you have a part to play in this. He prays that they would overflow with the love that they already have, with the knowledge and with the passion that they already have. And he's pointing to the fact that this is a young church. You guys can easily be swayed. You guys can easily be tossed to and fro by the wind. And I'm glad that you guys aren't, but it doesn't mean you're invulnerable. It doesn't mean that you are able to go after this and say, I am perfect. I know what I'm doing. This is going to be easy. Because it's not. When you start something new, it often takes time to learn what is right and what is wrong, it takes some growth. Think about, in your, in your head right now, think about what, like, one of your jobs, one of your first few jobs that you've ever had. Just kind of get that in your head right now. Think of that. One of mine, uh, when I was, this was my first job, but when I was in college, I worked at Sherwin-Williams, a so, uh, paint store. I know a disgusting amount of information about paints. Like, I pretty much know what kind of paint is on these walls just by looking at it. That sucks. Um, but... I I do know I had to learn a lot. So when I first got started there, I started to learn about paint. I was selling paint. I was like uh, pointing out colors to people. I was like, this one would go great on your wall. I don't know why they trusted me. I never saw their house, but I still told them that it would go great on their wall. And uh, I I was learning like how to sell it. Their their operating system was basically from 1996. And I was trying to figure out how to actually like swipe a credit card through. But I got it. And eventually, about a year in, I was like, I knew the basics. I could be trusted to stay at the store by myself. Like, I was good to go. And we would have contractors coming all the time. And contractors were like our biggest business. Like, they would come with, like, orders of saying, hey, I need 20 gallons of this color. Or I need to get, like, this, bu- this much equipment, and I need to be- get all this deck stain or whatever it is. And so I was pretty used to contractors, and you would get to know the regular people, and I got pretty like, like I knew my guys, like I knew the contractors that were coming in. So I'd be like, "Well, oh, what's up, Sal?" And like, dab him up and stuff, and you know, we'd like talk for a minute, drink a cup of coffee, and then uh, eventually, though, we would still get all the normal people. And somebody came in that was dressed like a contractor, and I I didn't recognize him, so I just assumed he was doing a paint job. And he was coming up to me, and he was and he was like, "Hey." I need 15 gallons of this yellow road paint. So the, the paint that you see on the yellow stripes on the road, we would sell that to contractors. But we weren't allowed to sell that stuff to, like, just normal people on the street because that stuff is very expensive and it's kind of like you don't really know how to use it unless you know how to use it. And so I was like, ah, oh, sorry, like, I'm not really allowed to sell it to you. Like, you're not, one of, you're not a contractor. You're not one of our guys. Like, I can't do that for you. And uh, he kind of looked at me. He's like, are you sure? Like, I, I think I was told I could come in here and get it. And I was like, no, sorry. You probably should, uh, you probably should call up another store and, like, set up a contract with them. And he's like, oh, oh, okay. And so he left. And, like, maybe 30 minutes, an hour later, my manager comes in. Like, hey, did, uh, did this guy come in? And I was like, yes. Uh, and they're like, did you give him the paint? And I said, no. Uh, And they went, well, you just turned away a million dollar contract with the city of Cleveland that uh, we could have been selling all this paint to and you sent them to the Broadview Heights store instead of the Brexville store, which is where I worked. And I said, oh, okay. Uh, And from that point on, I learned you never turn people away if you don't know them. Just ask them for their card. That's all that I learned. Uh, Otherwise, it could cost you a million dollars. So, All that being said, it took me a while to actually start to learn the ropes, and I was there for like two or three years, and so I got pretty good at learning who was our contractors, who was new, and who was regular people, but it took a while, and when we think about that, it comes to the point of growth. You have to grow in knowledge. You have to grow in what you're good at. You have to continue to be better, and that's what Paul is telling the Thessalonian church is that you guys are doing a really good job right now. This looks really good, but you have to be better. You have to keep growing. We always need to be growing. It's like non-negotiable. Like you can't just go and stop and say, I've grown as much as I can. That doesn't happen until you're with Jesus. I hate to break it to you, but that doesn't happen until you're with him. We have to continue to pursue him. We have to continue to look at what does growth look like in our lives. We can't just sit back and expect God to do it for us. He changed our heart. We should reciprocate that love that he showed us by showing a dedication to him. We should say, God, you are worth it. I'm going to put forth all the effort that I can because you gave me life. You gave me life that relationship, there's two parties there, God and us, and God loved us, he cared for us, he gave us life, he cares about us still, he gives us an opportunity to be with him forever, and our natural reaction more often than not is to say, I'm going to do what I want, when in reality, reciprocating and showing that love to God is what we should be doing, so growth is essential, And I can tell you that all I want, and we could just stop here and I could send you to small groups. But I want to give you some ideas. I want to give you some ways that this could actually pop up in your life. I want to show you some possibilities, some different ways that you could be growing. All right? So I encourage you, write these down, put them in your head, take a mental snapshot, whatever you need. Uh, You might talk about this a little bit in your uh, small groups. But the first one, this might feel like the church answer but spending time in the word and in prayer. It's the easy answer, right? That we just, you know, oh, you're supposed to read your Bible, you're supposed to pray. But in front of you, whether it's physical, on your phone, on the internet, you have a way to learn about God. You have the ultimate way to see and hear about him. You have the ultimate way to grow closer to him. You have, the, you have a way that you can communicate with God. And if it doesn't start there, if your growth doesn't start there of trying to be consistent in the word, trying to be consistent in prayer, your foundation is going to be shaky because it starts with getting to know him. To continue to try and to be better with your reading, to be better with your prayer, we should strive to go and jump in and dive in. Whether that's setting up a plan for yourself, finding something online, buying a book, sitting down with a couple people and just reading the word together. Whatever that looks like, though, it has to start there. And the next thing is that we should be in community. It's important. And we've talked a lot about this the, the past few weeks and the past couple of months, honestly. And so I'm not going to dwell on this too much. But being in community is very important. When we are part of community, when we're part of the church, we're part of the body. And when we say, I want to be a part of the body, I want to be a part of what God has for me, we are saying, I want to be a part of God's body. I want to participate in this together. I want to do this together. I want to be able to go after God together. And to say, I don't need community is neglecting to be a part of God's body. And that's not growth. Seek to be with people. Come to Next regularly. Get in a community group. Come to church on Sundays too. Find other ways to get connected. Even if you just go and get food uh, on a Wednesday night or on a Tuesday night after Next or if you guys get lunch after church on Sunday, find a way to get connected in community. The next thing is that we should be learning on our own. It's important to start learning on your own when you're growing. That the hour that you come here for Next or the hour on Sunday morning, it's good. Hopefully it's good. It will never be enough though. And sometimes that means going and finding stuff to read on your own. I don't, I really don't like reading, but I do a lot of reading because it's good for me. Or maybe it's saying like, oh, I want to jump into men's and women's Bible studies. Those pop up throughout the year in the spring, summer, and fall. Jump into one of those. Maybe what you want to say is, oh, I want to jump in on Redemption Academy. I would love to see a Redemption Academy. That's our like quasi-seminary course uh, that I get a chance to be a part of. I love it. And maybe you've done, you've done the prerequisites. Jump in with us in the fall. I would love to see you there. Maybe you just need to ask the right questions. Maybe it's e- shooting me an email, finding me or emailing one of our pastors, setting a time to sit down and just ask questions and learn. Maybe it's time where you guys just sit together after next or you guys go after church and just dig into the word, do Bible study. But whatever that looks like, it means learning on your own. It means being a self feeder. It means you feed yourself and you learn for yourself rather than only relying on some of these outlets for you. Now, growth doesn't mean you just grow in knowledge, but it also means that you grow in faithfulness. And so, accountability is huge. To grow in faithfulness means that you are running away, you've truly repented of sin, you've truly repented of this old lifestyle, and instead you are pursuing God with all you can. But to say that we could do it alone is pretty ignorant. We're all sinful. We'll all choose what feels good for us. But if we have people around us that are saying, hey, you should really be in the word more. Hey, I see you slipping into this lifestyle that I just know is not good for you. Hey, I, I know that you haven't been to church in a while. Like, what's going on? Finding people to call you out, to be there for you, to love you, to pray for you, that will help you grow in faithfulness. Finding people to help you accountable. This next one, a little bit more preferential. It's a little bit something that I do, but I think it's worth trying. And that's journaling. I journal whenever I am doing time in the word. And sometimes that's about what I'm reading. Sometimes that's just about where life is at. Sometimes I write down a prayer. Sometimes if I'm angry, I'll just write down what I'm angry about. Sometimes if I just need to vent to talk to God, it's sometimes just a good way to get that out. Whatever it is, though, it helps to reflect on where God has brought you from and where you are going. And it really is. It's cool to be able to look through my journals and to see how God has worked in my heart, to flip through the pages and see what God has done in me and to change me. It's awesome to see where he has brought me. And my last thing here is don't live faith, your faith like it's a checklist. This should be genuine. This shouldn't be just like, oh, I'm gonna do this just because I gotta get it done. Remember, Paul told the church he wants them to overflow out of abundance. He wants them to overflow out of love. He wants to see them. No, you, you're doing really good. So keep going, keep going, keep pushing that snowball. Let it pick up that all that snow. Let it keep going. Keep that momentum. I want to see you grow. And so when we do, when you do these things, when you're trying to find ways to grow, don't just do it because maybe it feels like, oh, this is the right thing I'm supposed to do uh, or I just need to do this to get it done for the day or whatever, but do it out of an abundance of love, out of an overflowing of love. Do it to show God that he is so worth it for what he's done for you. Do it because you love God so much because of what his son did on the cross. Do it because you love God. Like I was talking about in the beginning, when we could just show love to somebody without even thinking about what they might be doing for us just because we love them, that is self-giving, that is life-giving, and that is spending time that you could be doing for yourself for somebody else. And that's just the same as it is with God. And so take time, Uh, maybe you do this in small group, it's up to your small group leaders, or maybe you do this when you go home, but to reflect, see, am I actually doing these things? Am I actually growing out of love or is it more of a checklist mentality? Do a heart check. Think about, is this actually for me or is this for God? I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll go into some small groups. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity that we get to dig into your word, to grow closer to you. Lord, help us to be better for the sake of your kingdom. Help us to be better so that we can show you the love that you deserve. And help us to grow and to ultimately to point back to you and what your son has done and his work on the cross. And ultimately, I thank you for that. In your name I pray. Amen.